That gospel passage picks up right where we left off last Sunday in the 10th chapter of Mark. So when you go home, all of our job this week is to go home, reopen that passage. It's Mark 10, 17 to 30, cited in the bulletin. You can get it on our social media and reread, reread, and reflect on this passage. Hopefully you remember in this part of the gospel of Mark, Jesus, who is the Son of God, is traveling toward Jerusalem, where when he enters Jerusalem, he will enter into his passion, death, and resurrection, through which salvation is ultimately brought into this world. He's with his closest disciples on this journey, and as they're heading toward Jerusalem, he reveals more directly to them some of the truth of who he really is, and also more of the truth about what is absolutely required if they're going to live as his disciples. They can do whatever they want with their lives. Jesus is never going to force anything on anyone, but he's more and more clear on this journey toward Jerusalem. If you are going to live as my disciples, you must freely choose to enter into certain realities. So if you can experience your life, I hope most of us do, if you can see your life that you're trying to journey through this world with Jesus, if you're trying to grow as his disciple, just put yourself in the position of these first disciples and see how you can relate. We've talked about this for several Sundays. There's an emphasis in this section of the gospel on the limitations of these disciples, their lack of understanding when Jesus first explains things to them. I have a long way to grow as a disciple of Jesus. I presume you do as well. So this is very encouraging. It's all about room for growth. I encourage you to take this passage. It's all one passage, but to take it in three parts this week. So the first part is a man approaches Jesus. It turns out that this man is a holy person. He has been following very important commandments about how we're supposed to love God and love other people from the time that he's young. He's a holy person. It also turns out that he's a wealthy person. He has many possessions, which is neither here nor there. At Jesus' time, a wealthy Jewish person who is living a holy life is considered particularly blessed. Those possessions are considered a reflection of God's blessing. If a person is living a holy life and is wealthy, the person is actually in a position of responsibility to work for God, to use at least some of that wealth to help people who are in need. So a person who is holy and is wealthy is considered at Jesus' time a very blessed person. And we should presume in this passage that he is using his wealth to serve God. The man is poised for great spiritual growth, much more growth, I'm sure, than he can even imagine. Jesus is about to offer him an invitation and a gift that Jesus offers to very few people. So he runs to Jesus. He is filled with enthusiasm. He kneels before Jesus, which shows his respect and his reverence for Jesus. I believe there's only one other person in the entire Gospel of Mark who kneels before Jesus. He's a leper in the first chapter of Mark who begs Jesus to cleanse him of his leprosy. So this holy, wealthy man runs to Jesus, kneels down before him, and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Presumably, he has heard the teaching of Jesus, because Jesus is always talking about this kingdom he invites people to enter into now that leads to eternal life. The man clearly senses there is more for him to grow in his relationship with God, and that it's about action. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him the direct answer. This is about this specific man. Jesus looks at him. The scripture emphasizes he loves him. And he tells him, you are lacking in one thing. Go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Please this week, really spend time with that. As we know, Jesus does not teach everyone to sell everything they have and to move to India. India would be even more overcrowded if everybody did that. Jesus does not tell people, every single person, go and sell everything you have, even to give to the poor. So this is a specific invitation to this man. Go, sell these possessions, give them to people who are in need of your wealth, then come and follow me. Jesus is inviting this specific man to join his closest group of disciples. Jesus invites very few people to be part of this group. This man is so correctly aware that there's room for growth, little can he imagine Jesus is going to invite him into this small group of closest disciples. It is the biggest offer Jesus can give to somebody. The man hears this. The man is completely free to do whatever he wants to do, and his face falls. Very dramatic line. His face falls, and he goes away sad. The Scripture says because he has many possessions. The Scripture doesn't explain what's going on inside of him. Again, emphasis, this is a holy, good person whom Jesus loves. Maybe he really is attached to those possessions. Maybe he's attached to being a benefactor, you know, that, uh, that he is the one who helps other people. Maybe he's attached to his status quo with these possessions. Whatever's going on at this moment, it, does not, it is not possible or it doesn't feel possible to him to do what Jesus is asking him to do. Those are very specific instructions, and they are challenging, but they are fundamentally love. Love more. Love we know, true love, is sacrificial. It's always involve, always involves letting go, giving to people in need, and then following Jesus more deeply. This man is being asked by Jesus to love more in order to grow in his relationship with Jesus. And he doesn't do it. He goes away sad. And obviously, he should be sad. He is not accepting the most powerful call anyone could have from Jesus Christ. I hope you can relate to that. I can certainly relate to that. I'm trying to live a holy life. I am doing many good things. I am trying to serve God. And I hear Jesus call me to love more. And it involves sacrifice. It involves letting go and giving to someone in need and following Jesus more closely. 
I hear through the teaching of the church, I hear through the scripture, I hear through the needs of this community of Jesus' disciples, I hear in the prayer that we enter into in this Mass, Jesus asking me to love more, to let go, to give, and to follow him more closely. I hear Jesus call me to take some of my time and my talent, to let go of it, and to give it to children in this community who need my time and my talent to help educate them and catechize them and feed them. I hear Jesus call me to let go of, we're doing this collectively this time of year, to let go of some of my treasure, to give it to everybody in need in this community through the work of this parish. I hear Jesus call me to let go of some of how I want to be held in the eyes of other people, to let go of some of that and to give to other people his teaching because they so need it. And I think my reputation might change if I actually do that. I hear Jesus, it can be about negative things. I hear Jesus call me to let go of my resentment toward my spouse and to give my spouse forgiveness that she needs from me to go and follow Jesus more closely. I hear Jesus call me to let go of my disappointment in my child and to give to my child another chance, which my child needs, and to follow Jesus more closely. I hear Jesus call me to let go of my anger at this society and to give to the people with whom I work and my neighbors a constructive, merciful voice. He calls me constantly to love more, to let go, to give to people in need, and to follow him more closely. And this can be very challenging. Spiritual growth in Jesus Christ is fundamentally always about more love. You with me? That's part one. Part two and three are going to be much more brief. So, part two, the man's face falls. Fine, his face falls. At this moment, it does not feel possible for him to do what Jesus asks him to do. The error, the mistake he makes, is that he goes away sad. Instead of letting his face fall and going away from Jesus, how about he lifts up his face and says to Jesus, could you give me some help here? Could you... I don't, it does not feel possible, help me do what you're asking me to do. The man makes the error of walking away from Jesus. The disciples don't walk away from Jesus. They stay with him and they get into this conversation about how challenging it is for rich people and then for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. They say, who can be saved? And Jesus gives them the direct answer. For human beings, it's impossible. For human beings, it is impossible to nearly fully love. For human beings, it is impossible to respond sometimes to what God asks us to do to love more. Jesus says, but not for God. All things are possible for God. When I am at the point that I do know Jesus is asking me to love more, to sacrifice in ways that don't feel possible for me now, well, maybe it's not possible for me, but all things are possible for God. 
I am meant to turn to Jesus and be honest. I don't feel I can do this now. Give me the grace. Give me the help. I hope that's what you're partially doing in this Mass, coming here as parents and children and neighbors with all of your limitations to receive the grace of Jesus in this Eucharist. That's the source of our being able to do what otherwise could be impossible for us. Jesus never asks us to do anything for which he doesn't give us the grace. That would be bizarre. That would be a game. Seeking the grace to do what I feel is impossible right now, to say yes to his call, is what Christian life is all about. Third and finally, in that passage, hearing all of this, Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. It's a bit of an exaggeration. They haven't given up everything, but they've given up a lot. So Jesus makes clear in his response that living in him is not mostly about challenges. It's certainly not about hardship. It's always about the reward of a more abundant life. Amen, I say to you, this is when Jesus is giving an important teaching, amen, I say to you, no one who gives up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will not receive 100 times more in this present age houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and lands in this present age and with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. Jesus promises whatever we sacrifice for his sake and for the sake of the gospel, we will receive more abundant life, a hundred times whatever we sacrifice now and eternal life in the ultimately in the age to come. Peter is already experiencing this. Peter has left his house, and he has left his wife, and he has left his children, and he has left his lands, if he, whatever that means. Peter has already experienced a hundred, I can outshout you anytime you like, a hundred times more relationships than he had because he's followed Jesus, and he's working for the gospel. Peter is going to receive more and more abundant life with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. This is all about the reward of more abundant life. I hope you can relate to that. I hope you recognize more relationships and more good for whatever sacrificing you're doing for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And I hope you know if you're doing this, you're on the path to heaven. Finally, if this week you realize, I don't feel like I have a more abundant life as a Christian, don't let your face fall, but consider, are you explicitly doing, are you explicitly loving for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of his gospel to help build his kingdom in your family, in this community, in all your relationships? Is it explicitly not just doing the right thing, or doing what you hear Christians are supposed to do, is it for Jesus Christ, in love for him, and building his kingdom? That nuance might be the eye-opener for a more abundant life. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to get involved, 
go to stpatrickparish.com.